on. The mute was on. Good morning. This beautiful sunny morning. Um, yes, yeah, so this morning, it's lovely to be here with you. It's lovely to see you all. Um, a few weeks ago, I talked about rest and finding rest in God. And I kind of want to just finish this kind of series on rest and finding rest. And we started with reading this verse from Leviticus that says, For six days work may be done, but on the seventh there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. Um, and I said this is not an instruction that has to be held religiously, but it's also not just a suggestion. It's something that our Creator is telling us to do for our own benefit. I compared it to an instruction from a manual from like a coffee machine, for example, that you would take care of because you, it's valuable to you. You wouldn't just be like, oh, I'm not sure if they mean this. You would do what they tell you, the instruction. You take care of the machine the way the instructions tell you. So God, as our creator, and we the creation, he gave us some instructions of how to take care of his creation, which is us. Um, but when God tells us to rest, it's not a suggestion, but a way of taking care of his creation. It's not just a suggestion. It's a way of taking care of his creation. And you and I are his creation. And the world around us is his creation. So if you want this body and mind to last and thrive and live a full life, I believe it's important to listen to his creator. If he's the one that created us. He knows best. He knows best about us. He knows more about us than we know about us. So how do we rest, pause, and unhurry in a world of fast food, quick texting, FaceTime, prime delivery, and everything at your fingertips? The paradox of rest is that it actually takes some time and effort. It takes discipline, and it takes a choice every day. That's what we said last time. Um, and I know some people don't like making choices. But not making a choice is making a choice. When you have a choice of A and B and you're like, I'm not sure, I'm not going to make a choice, that's making a choice. So not making a choice to put rest and taking care the way God intended us to take care of your mind and body, not making the choice, it's making a choice. So I might as well choose something that brings me life, something that brings me all I need for myself and everyone around me. Because I said this, and I want to remind you that this is not just about you. This isn't just for you. This is for everyone around you. Because if you look at Jesus, that's how he operated. He operated from rest. He walked, healed, and lived from a place of rest. From a place of unhurry. But not just for his own benefit, but to bring life to everyone around him. Everywhere he went, because he operated the way he operated, life was flowing out of him. For him and for everyone around him. Wherever he went, he spoke life. He gave life. He gave of himself because he was in a place to give. He had, he, you can't give from an empty place. So Jesus was in a place to give. So let's read the next one, the next slide in Exodus. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. And another, um, Version said, he ceased labor and was refreshed. God doesn't, just, doesn't want us to just stop working. He doesn't just want us to 
cease labor, but he wants us to be refreshed. And each time I read this, I try to think of the times when I've ceased labor, but haven't felt much more refreshed at the end of it. When I cease labor, I want to feel refreshed, but more often than not, I don't. Why? Why don't we sometimes feel refreshed? Because we all have, we all work in different capacities, but there are times when you feel like I've had a whole evening off, or I had a whole day off, or the half time has finished and I'm not more rested than when I started. Why? And I use this example of trying to fill up a bath that doesn't have the plug-in. The water runs and runs and you think you're filling it up, and it might even start gathering up a little bit, but as soon as the tap is stopped, the water is down the drain and it's empty again. And that really, this image really spoke to me because there's been happening to me at times when I'm like, I still feel empty. I've run the tap and run the tap and I still feel empty. But the refreshing that this verse is talking about comes from and only from God. I'm not saying he can be in other things like chilling or watching TV or doing all those other things, but he has to be my main source. He has to be the one that I go to for the rest and everything, and everything else is an added bonus. Everything else is a nice time, but he is my source. Everything has to flow from relationship and intimacy with him. God is all about relationship and people and community and togetherness, but it has to flow from a place of intimacy with him. It has to flow from a place of relationship with him. So how do we find rest and how do we practically do this? I'm going to share with you, and I shared two kind of practical practices last time, and I'm going to share with you the last two this time. Um, so the, the two that I talked last time was one of them was silence and solitude. And we said that for some of you, as you hear this, silence and solitude is like, yes, that is amazing. And for some of you, it's like, silence, solitude, no. Put me in a crowded room, please. Um, and I was definitely the latter. Like, I loved being around people. I loved noise. I loved, yeah, a full house. I grew up in a house full of, you know, seven children plus two parents. It was noisy. It was chaotic. And I loved it. Um, Sometimes in the summer when my siblings would go on off a camp and I would be at home for like one or two weeks, it would be the worst time of my life. So I love being surrounded by people. But even the thought, and even the thought of being alone and quiet terrified me. Like, what can I do in the time? What can I give in the time? I'm an out person. I, I talk. I, I process by sharing. I, yeah, I, so... And that is true, and this is who I am, and God created me to be this way, but he still wants to spend time with me in silence and solitude. He still wants me to give him that time. He still wants me, and he wants to find me in that place. In the midst of silence and solitude, I found that God is my source for everything. And practicing made it easier and better and enjoy more enjoyable. And I still very much enjoy being in the crowd, being with people, but I very much enjoy being in silence and solitude with the Father. And the more I do it, the more I want to do it. So let's look at Jesus. How, was he, how did he spend his, time, spend his time on earth? 
How did he practice silence and solitude? In the next slide, we read this in Luke 5. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. The news about him spread, and he withdrew. This is kind of countercultural to us. If you, the news about you spreads, you book more meetings. If people know about you, you make up 10 more Instagram accounts and you put everything out there because people know about you. But Jesus, as always, always upside down. Kingdom is always upside down, to, it seems to us. The more the news about him spread and he withdrew to pray. There are nine references in the book of Luke alone about Jesus going off alone to pray, to spend time with the Father. Jesus needed a time to be alone with the Father, the time to pray, the time to ponder, the time to listen. If Jesus needed it, how much more do I need it? How much more does my soul long for it? If Jesus was doing this all the time. In another story in Mark, we read this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported him to all they had done and thought. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not have even a chance to eat. Have you ever felt like you've been so busy you haven't even had a chance to eat? But Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. They didn't have a chance to eat. And Jesus said, come with me to get some rest. They might be like, uh, Jesus, what about a meal? What about some fish, some bread? What about we go, in, you know, we go to someone's house and let them cook for us and let them take care of us? But Jesus takes them in a boat to a solitary place. Because Jesus knows what they need. Beyond food, beyond what their body needed in a moment, Jesus knew what they really needed. Jesus was showing them all the time that he often withdrew and prayed. But he also then, okay, boys, come with me. I'll show you how to do it. You've been busy. You haven't had a chance to eat. But now let's go to a solitary place. Jesus was telling them that what they needed was time alone with him. But in order to do that, they needed to get away. Let's. Um, Adam, I think I did it again. <laughs> Can you? Thank you. I'm going to blame it on the fact that I have a three year old, but it's just me. Um, yeah, so we talked about that. Then we talked a little bit about slowing and slowing down and slowing down physically as well as mentally. And we, we talked about a few practical things about how to slow down and how when we slow down physically, our mind catches up to that. And slowing down physically can also go to the point of try to do one thing at a time. We have got to the place in our world that doing one thing at a time is very countercultural. Because you can do so many things at the time. You can order your Amazon shopping while you wait for your kettle to boil, while your children are doing something, while your food is on the stove. Because we have to do it all. But I've really forced myself to do one thing at a time and slow myself down as I talk. 
and a few different ways you can slow yourself down. And even in things like, why am I replying to this text right now? Why am I replying to this email right now? Is it out of fear or out of love? Because if it's out of fear of this person might not like me, this person might think something of me, this person will be really upset if I don't reply, then that's not quite the right place to reply from. But if you reply out of love, reply out of where Jesus was replying and going and doing things all the time, it's where he wants us to be. Jesus was delaying. Um, let's use the example of Jesus and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there. He stayed where he was two more days. He didn't rush to his friend that was dying, but not because he didn't love him, but because he, he wasn't bothered about what people would think. He knew. He was secure in who he was. He was secure that Lazarus would be okay. And even though to everyone else would be like, Jesus, you need to get on the way right now. What are you doing? And yeah, he didn't rush to it. He didn't care what people think. He didn't do it out of fear. And when he got there, Jesus, uh, Lazarus was dead. And people were, what are you doing, Jesus? You could have come a bit quicker. We'd send you this message three days ago. And Lazarus was okay. And Jesus operated from a place of unhurry. And that is just... I need to remind myself that in the times when I do things out of a hurry or because I want to quickly solve a problem. I see a problem, I want to solve it. But I don't think that's how Jesus operated. So let's, look, let's carry on and look at the other two practices this morning. The first one is simplicity. And simplicity or minimalism or hige or however you want to call it. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about simplicity is not. And then what is simplicity? So the first thing, simplicity, isn't a design style. It isn't a new way to decorate your house that's all minimalistic. Um, it's not a poverty mindset that you get rid of everything and you have nothing. It's also not organizing your stuff into cute little boxes and baskets as much as I love baskets. And trust me, I love baskets. If I could buy, yeah. But it isn't about that. It isn't just about getting everything organized. Simplicity isn't living with nothing, but it's living with less. And in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Homer says this. If you have so much stuff that you have to organize it, box it up, label it, and stock it in a way that cuts down on space, then the odds are you have too much stuff. And what do we do on a regular basis? We get, we go and buy more stuff. And then Christmas comes and you have more stuff. The odds are that we have too much stuff. So simplicity isn't just about clearing out every spring and throwing out your stuff or reorganizing your living room to be empty, but it's something that starts internally. And we will look a little bit at how Jesus walked in this practice. Because trying to put simplicity in our, in our context today but we need to look at Jesus. No, Jesus may, might have not have the house that you have now or the challenges that you might have now, but he showed us how to do that. Let's look at this great definition of simplicity from Richard Foster and Mark Scandrett. Simplicity is an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle, choosing to leverage time, money, talents, and possession towards what matters most. So it's not just about getting rid of things, 
But what do you then do with all that space? What do you do with your time, money, talents, and possessions? Where do they go towards? And if you look at Jesus, that's exactly what he did. And he was doing all the time, living out of a place of simplicity, but not poverty. Jesus was not poor. Some people might believe that, but he wasn't poor. He had a treasurer. If you, have, if you need another person to hold your money and count it and be accountable to it, it means you have quite a bit of money. Jesus was not poor. But neither did he go and get the latest sandals, because now he was famous and people may have better see him in the nice sandals, or the newest robes, because that's not what mattered most. Jesus lived in a simple way, in a minimalistic way. He didn't think about all the things that he could get or he could purchase. Jesus using his time, money, talents, and possession towards what mattered most. And not because he didn't have the money, because he chose what to do with that money. Living simply is also living not in a hurry, in a rush for the latest thing, that to renew this gadget and that gadget, to get this because you only had it one year, to rush to the shops for something new because I had a bad day. And again, hear me please, all these things are not bad. Having nice things and buying new things are not bad. But they should not be the priority. They should not be the spring of life, the reason I get up in the morning. The reason that I wait for, is it September that Apple brings out a new device every year? This, I should not be living my year waiting for Apple to release a new thing so I can buy it. It should not be my source of life. The spring of life, the reason I get up in the morning needs to be God in every area. Not just on a Sunday morning, not just when other things happen, but all the time. So to quote his book again, John says this, the goal isn't just to just declutter your closet or garage, but to declutter your life. To clear away the myriad of distraction, the ratchet up of our, our, of, the ratchet up our anxiety, that feeds us an endless stream of mind-numbing drivel and anesthetizes us to what really matters. To declutter your life. Because you can declutter your living room, but if you haven't decluttered your mind, you haven't decluttered your life, you will carry on accumulating stuff. And everyone, you know that. You, you know very many times when you've moved house and you have way too many things and you get rid of a lot of things and you declutter and you're like promise to yourself, we will not let this happen again. And a year later, there you are with 10 bin bags, all full, to go to the charity shop. And then you swear yourself again, no, 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 I will not. Look how nice our house is now. Look at the cupboards, they're so empty. No, 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 we will not do this again. And once again, then you do that a few years ago. Just me? Please don't tell me it's just me. But simplicity is something that is seen on the outside, but it starts within, it starts inside. I have intentionally spoken of silence and solitude first and slowing down first before simplicity. Because when we start with spending time with the Father in silence and solitude, when he's our priority in time, when everything comes from a place of unhurry, then all the other things, I believe, simplicity comes a little bit more naturally. When your source is him and you spend the time that you have with him, the resources that you have on him, then the stuff themselves don't matter so much. So a little bit practical, when I started this, I was like, okay, what are the things that I really, really love, but I don't want to love? I don't want to love stuff. 
but what do I love right now? I love my clothes. I love buying new clothes. I love planning new outfits. And I was like, okay, well, this is the one that I have to kind of start with and kill first. Because I don't want to love stuff. I want to love people. I want to love God. I don't want to love stuff. But sometimes I do love stuff. So I took all my clothes on the bed. I took everything. And in the moment, it was a little bit like, wow, I have way too much. I have way, way too much. Because, you know, when you shove them in the cupboard or when you shove them in the drawers and they can't quite close, you're like, oh, I have too much stuff. But, but when you see it all in front of you, it's a little bit eye-opening. So I got rid of so, so much. But I also asked my husband to be accountable to me to not buy new things as well because I don't need them. And maybe there will be a time when I will go out again and buy things. But for now, I need to kill this love of stuff in me. I want to kill this love of clothes in me. Therefore, I am disciplining myself to go a little bit to this extreme of not buying anything. And I have a lot of things. And yes, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry to say, sometimes I wear the same outfit in the same week. It happens. But it's fine. Nobody notices. And if they do... Could I? <laughs> because what we find in him, and we will keep finding in him as we carry on spending time with him, is that a lot of the external things do not take such high places on our lists, on our priority list. When you are getting freed internally from insecurities, fears, long-lasting traumas, when he comes and meets you where you are at, when we give him the little time or resources that we have and he multiplies it, then everything else seems a little less significant. Simplicity is so much more than simple living and decluttering, but it starts somewhere there. Because I do believe as a society, we have way too much stuff. You agree? We have way too much stuff. I have a three-year-old that constantly grows and constantly wants new things. And all I'm thinking is, we in the world, not even in the world, let's take it a bit slower. Me, us as a family, or us as a community, we have enough stuff to go around all of us without having to buy new things. So every time I, my son wants something new, we buy it secondhand. Not because I can't afford it, because I choose what to do with the resources I was interested. Because... This stuff, it's already out there in the world. There is already a bike that he can use, that somebody has used two years ago, and it's okay. We don't need to get more stuff. And as I was thinking about this, um, the fact that we do have so much stuff within, between us as a society, so starting getting rid of things that are a distraction, things that are just accumulate more things, things that create waste. Because I truly believe that we're meant to take care of the environment around us. And at the beginning I said that God as our creator has given us instructions how to take care of his creation. And yes, we are his creation, but the world around us is also his creation. And he has told us how to take care of it. He has put us in charge to take care of it. Not to destroy, abuse it, and all the things that we do. And I really do believe that we are meant to help the environment around us. And this is not a go green talk, or because I believe that my tiny little buying things from wherever to refill so I had don't buy a lot of plastic will save the earth. But because I was told by my creator to take care of the little 
environment that I am placed in. I might, you might think, but what will you not buying shampoo and 10 bottles of plastic a year make a difference? It might not make a difference. It might not make a difference at all. Because then there's another person that buys 20 a year anyway. But I was told to take care of, of the world that my creator has created. And this is what I will do with the resources and time that I have. In Genesis 2.15, we read this. The Lord, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. I meant to work it and take care of it. And I'm not sure we've done that very well as a society. And at times we don't. And again, this is so countercultural. We're told to get new things, always new things. Clothes, they are so cheap that these days that you don't even have to mend the old one. You just go and get a new one. And a new one, and a new one, and a new gadget. And every time you blink, there's the newest thing. So what can you start with? What can you start with to declutter your life, your mind, and your space to allow God to be the center again. And the last practice I want to talk to you is Sabbath and the importance of keeping the Sabbath. If we read in Exodus 34, verse 21, we read this. Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh you shall rest, even during the plowing season, and harvest you must rest. Now, um, many people here do harvest and plowing? No, so let's... Put it different. Even when your life is very busy and your calendar is very busy, you must rest. In, a, in the New Living Translation, it says this, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day, you must stop working. Stop working from your ordinary work doesn't just apply to your paid job. Doesn't apply to just your role description, but to any work. We're meant to cease labor and be refreshed and all the other practices that we've talked about to help towards Sabbath is the most important. Sabbath is the one that's the most countercultural because it's the longest, 24 hours to just do nothing. It's just, but have you seen my life? But have you seen how busy I am? But have you seen my children? And I can only talk about my life. I can't talk about anyone else's. But this is what the Bible is telling us. Is the one that takes more effort, discipline, and um, time. But the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which literally means to stop. It means to stop working, to stop worrying, to stop doing, to just stop. In Genesis 1, we read that creation reached its completion in six days. And on the seventh, God God, the most amazing, most powerful, God stopped and rested. Did he really need a rest? Could you not just end this and I have more energy? Of course he could, but he was showing us all the time how to live. And what did God do on that day? He enjoyed his creation. He relished in it. His presence was there filling the space. He spent time with Adam and Eve, walking together and just being together. Didn't give them the, more, the next instructions about the, the crops. Didn't worry about anything, but he enjoyed his creation. What a beautiful image of God walking with Adam and Eve, enjoying the creation. And this is how God intended it to be. 
we were the one that moved away from God. This is how God wants it to be, that we find him in everything. But once every seven days, we give him the whole time. During Sabbath, we enjoy his creation. We spend time with, with him. We stop work. We stop doing. We stop producing. And we just be. That is what Sabbath is. But Sabbath is more than just a day. It's a way of living. And it's a way of living and being in this world. A way of living the other six days as well. To be so filled with his presence and all that he has for you. That those other six days, you're not just getting by, getting through to get to the Sabbath. But actually, he's meant to fill you up the other six days and the rest of your life, you, you operate from the rest that he gives you. But Sabbath does not need to become a regulation, the way it happened many times over the Bible, if we read. They rebuked Jesus for working on Sabbath because they took it so far. They defined everything. They were so taken with the rules that the do's and the don'ts of the Sabbath, they stopped resting on the day. They were so busy watching who was working, who was doing what, that they weren't even resting. Well, well done for not doing anything physically with your body, but your mind being so occupied with something else instead of giving glory to God, which was Sabbath meant to be. This is meant to be a day of seizing labor and finding all our desires in him. Because this is where strength comes from. This is where everything flows out of. Let's look at Jesus when he was tempted by the devil. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, and there he fasted for 40 days and was tempted. And many times I thought this, why in the desert? Why not in the temple where everyone was, where everyone could have laid hands on him and prayed over him? Why not in someone, one of the disciples' house where he could be together? You know, why not when he just had a nice big meal so he feels already to keep going. But then I realized because the wilderness is not the place of weakness, but the place of strength. That is the place where Jesus was at the high of his spiritual powers. This is where Jesus spent the time before taking on the devil. Not a crowded place, not in the temple where you and I might think he should be, but alone in the desert with a father and no food. Sabbath has got to become a practice in our lives because it's where we receive all that we need. In today's world, we're always looking for the next thing, for the newest thing. The old is never good. New, new, new. Get the new already. Start looking for the newest. Because we, as people, have an infinite desire. We always want more. Nothing is good enough. We look for the next thing. And we are a creation that has an infinite desire, but only because the only thing that can satisfy that infinite desire is an infinite God. And nothing on earth that is finite will satisfy that infinite desire in us. God is the only one that can satisfy the desire. He is the only one. We can go look for it in different places, but he is the one and only. Practically, I would say that we must make it a priority. When the Bible was written, there weren't as many distractions and technologies as there are today. But if there was, I'm sure he would say something about switching off from our technologies. I'm sure he would say something about going away from all the distractions. 
to disconnect with the world and connect with God. Um, and in my in our very busy household that has a three-year-old and very soon another little one, how do we do this? But I really want to do it. So every Friday night, we've only done it for about a month, so feel free to... Uh, keep me accountable, every Friday night we switch off our phones, we switch off our devices, we light a candle, we read a psalm together, we pray together, we talk about highs and lows of the week. All these highs most of the time include, thank you for watching Fireman Sam, but he says thank you to Father God for that. Um, and I love it. And then whatever we do for the rest of the next 24 hours from Friday night, it, it, we try to involve God, him to be the center of it. God to be the one that takes priority. It might be with other people. It might be with on our own. It might be us separate because we're doing different things. But God is at the center of that time. And when my focus is on him and praising him, my worry about what needs doing loses its power just a little bit. I'm going to finish with this quote from the book again that really helped me and made me think. And he says this, as I see it, we have two options. Option A, we neglect this practice, make excuses, get sucked into the rat race, and face emotional unhealth at best, and spiritual oblivion at worst. Or option B, we recapture this ancient yet timely practice and experience the life of Jesus. I'm going to leave you with this thought. Thank you so much. And thank you, Lord, for this morning. Amen.